you're going to step into ministry, you better expect that there's going to be a different type of hardship than in the business world. Think about this. The business world has all kinds of things it has to deal with. Forms for the government and you know, regulations for how you're in business. The church has all of those plus doctrine, morals, ethics, and let's add this one, music. Nobody at IBM is wrestling with what's being played over the speakers, you know. Today on the show, we have Mike Minter. Mike was a pastor for 48 years in the Washington, D.C. area. He has four kids. Many of you are probably familiar with Kelly, one of our authors. And Mike recently moved to Nashville, lives in our neighborhood. We had him in our kitchen table to talk about six questions you should ask before you quit, which, Lindley, this is a topic that many people have requested. So I'm excited to talk about this today. All right. Well, good morning, Lindley. Good morning, Ben. We're in the kitchen. We're uh, Lifeway Homeless right now. We are Lifeway Homeless. We're getting ready to move into a brand new space uh, for Lifeway, a new teaming space. Can't wait to do it. But we're in our kitchen with one of our best friends. Mike Minter is with us. Hi, Mike. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> I'm glad I'm in your kitchen. I can eat while I'm talking. <laughs> I can go fix you something real quick. I love it. A little okay. over easy on the eggs. Okay. <laughs> Mike was a pastor for 40 plus years. About 48. 48 years uh, of a single church. In uh, Washington, D.C. area. Correct. And tell us a little about you, Mike. Well, I came out of a Navy background, uh, came out of a very religious home, but I didn't know the Lord until I traveled around Europe with a friend of mine from the Naval Academy. And in Copenhagen, after I'd read the Gospel of John, I found out that it was just believe, not believe plus a bunch of other things. And it literally turned my life upside down, or perhaps I should say right side up. Came back to the States and went into the life insurance business and ended up teaching a Bible study that I was thrown into. I didn't even know where the book of Genesis was, but a friend of mine, we'd started a Bible study together. And he, uh, he had to leave. To, he had graduated, and he threw the Bible study into my lap. And so here I am. I know nothing. And, uh, but the very first time I taught, on the way home in my little Volkswagen Beetle, for the first time in my life, I actually heard some sort of an inner voice. I, I can't describe it. It's sort of a spiritual voice that said, quit your job and teach the Bible the rest of your life. And I went in and I quit my job and went to two years of Bible college and then went up to Reston to start the church with, with Kay. Mike is a new author with us. Uh, he has a brand new book called Stay the Course, and it is an incredible uh, biographical but also very practical look at what it's like to stay in the same pastorate for 48 years. And we wanted to have you on the show, Mike, because we have had a lot of folks email us and say, could you have an episode of knowing when it's time to quit? Mm. Uh, when, when should we hang it up and move on to another church? How do we know that we've, we've really finished the assignment here? And Lindley, sometimes it comes from the pastor's wife. Well, it's come from all kinds of people, and they just say, it's, that is the hardest question to discern is, is, are you frustrated, are you tired, or is the Lord trying to work through that and say it's right. time to move on? And it's just hard to know. Well, I'll address that. I, uh, for, for me— um, Kay, at, at about our 45-year mark, said, you know, it's, it's time. But I, could, I didn't have anybody. I couldn't find anybody, which is why I invited this guy up to see if he was the guy, and he turned me down. <laughs> yeah. uh, I loved your church, by the way. But, but we, uh, so anyway, I realized that it was time. Matter of fact, when I turned 60, which was 19 years ago, the elders said, hey, it's time to start looking. We kicked the can down the road for 19 years. <laughs> 
So, so at any rate, um, you were in overtime for 19 years. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. Um, but I, I saw Kay's spirit sort of drifting a little bit. She just didn't feel like this was it anymore. And she's my partner in life yes. and, in, and in ministry. And, you know, I realized I was getting up there. My dad would refer to it as long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, but I think there's a, there are several things to think about. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When the joy starts to go, it's time to start thinking a little bit. Yep. Or Paul said, um, I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God did the laboring. And you're thinking, I feel like I'm laboring, not the grace of God. Or First Thessalonians says, um, it says God's, in, uh, God's calling is his enabling. And when, you, when those three things aren't working anymore, uh, in navigation, that's called a three-point fix. It tells you exactly where you are, longitude and latitude. And so I think... I think uh, when those when when you've lost the joy and the enabling and the grace, it's not necessarily time to quit, but it's time to have an assessment. It's time to talk to your leadership. It's time to talk to close friends outside of leadership, mm. and it may be time to get counseling. I think every pastor needs counseling. Mm. We may need counseling more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with counseling. But I think sometimes pastors think, well, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be counseling. Well, but you can't see things from a certain perspective because you're a pastor. And so I think that's, that's kind of the time. It's such a relevant topic right now because I think quite a few pastors and their wives have PTSD from COVID, from quarantine, from fighting right. over masks. Like they made it through, yeah. and now they're just gassed and yeah. tired and wondering, okay, do I have it in me to go another round? Or is it time to just say, this has been great, it's time to do something else? Yeah. Well, I don't think that COVID should be a determining factor. I mean, just because we went to COVID doesn't mean that I'm tired. of. Well, other people are tired of COVID too that have regular jobs. Mm. So I don't know if that would be a determining factor. It can be that you've been locked up for a long time. I had to preach for three straight months to an empty auditorium. Well, let me push back on you a little bit, though. Yeah. You even shared with me the amount of fighting between should we wear masks oh, or yeah, not that, wear masks. That yeah, wore that, pastors out. That You're right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was thinking from a different angle. Yeah. Uh, boy, did it. Uh, we were getting emails from, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't open up, uh, you've bought into the Marxist philosophy. If you do open up, you're trying to kill us. <laughs> we got we got all of those, and the only time I've ever I'm not kind of an angry guy in the pulpit, but boy, I tell you, I stood up one Sunday and I looked at everybody and I said the people that were there and the people that weren't there, which was most of them, and I said, "Listen, we do not know whether it's six feet or nine feet. Nobody knows social distancing. We don't know whether masks work or don't work. I don't care if you're a doctor out there or not. You don't know. We've never been on this river before. We don't know what's around the bend. Is it rapids? Is it a waterfall? Is it a smooth lake? We don't know. Mm-hmm. So stop acting like all of you are virologists and you know everything. You don't. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I got really little, little heated. Wow, that's that's big for you because you you have a long fuse. I've noticed. Like oh, you, I do. You're I do. a very patient guy. So I, I brought that up just simply to say there are seasons when pastors and wives just feel exhausted and. They know they, they're going to have to either get the joy back or they're going to have to move on. And Lindley, I'll, I'll give you room to, to butt in here because Mike and I can hog these microphones pretty well. Yeah. Well, you said something about if somebody's examining whether they should be leaving or not right. to ask their leadership. Could it be said that sometimes leadership, have you seen it in personal experience where leadership probably should have said something, but they, they get scared? I mean, sometimes it's hard to confront your pastor yeah. and say, actually, when he comes and says, what do you guys think? 
Sometimes they build a system around themselves that it's a bunch of yes men. Sometimes right. people get scared. I mean, so how do you work with a church like that where perhaps the people are really going to have to say the hard message of it, it actually is time? That's interesting. I had a group of elders that would ultimately make the decision, and we loved each other. Mm-hmm. And I felt, you know, I'm, I realize I'm getting up there, but I, I've always felt like I have a lot of energy. That's just uh, God's given that to me. You so do. I. I knew, and they knew that, and they were not too excited about me necessarily leaving. Mm. But we also had to come to the realization that I could just fall over, you know, and that'd be it. Who's going to be the next the next person? So we really had to step into it. I would hope that 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 a pastor is not surrounded by a bunch of yes men. If he's done that, and he's brought people into his life that are not of much help, you have to have people sit you down and say the hard thing. Every once in a while, you knew Bruce, and every once, this is our executive pastor, every once in a while I'd, I'd forget something, he'd say, time for Mike to move on. <laughs> I'd say, where'd I put my keys? Move, Mike's moving on. <laughs> Having a senior moment. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think if you've got a really strong and diverse leadership team, got people that say the hard thing, people all over the map, when you have that investment in your life, you're probably going to get a pretty good read on where you are and what's going on. So that's would be my, my Mike, take on that. In your book, Stay the Course, which is available at LifeWay.com, I would want to uh, bring up these two pitfalls. I'm going to read the first one. I'm going to let Lindley read the second one. All right. You mentioned two pitfalls that we don't want to fall into when we're thinking about quitting. All right. Okay. So the first one is the pitfall of premature action. And here's what you write. Sometimes we want out because the going has gotten really tough and we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yet, as we'll see later in the book, God blesses those who endure. So talk about the pitfall of premature action. Close to 20 years ago, I was shot. And it was just, a, everything was just caving in from everywhere. And we just moved into our new house in case. I don't even think we ought to hang pictures. I don't think we're going to be here that long. And I literally went in with my resignation letter. I just walked right into an elder meeting. I said, I'm done. I am cooked. I'm, I'm done. And I handed him the letter. And the head of the elder board tore it up and said, okay, now, first on the agenda. And he, went, he just kept right on going. <laughs> they didn't accept it. <laughs> and, and as it turned out, everything worked out fine. So I think you can, you can get to a place where you feel like, I see no way out of this. I, there, there is no, it's like, Moses at the Red Sea. But God told him to take his staff and stand still and see the salvation of our God. And you're going to have those moments where you are absolutely at the end. I probably had five or six of those. And God always swooped in at the last minute with his grace Mm. and rescued me. We lost 1,000 people one year to a huge church that moved in near us. 1,000 people. I thought we were going to capsize. We went from 2,500 to 1,500 almost overnight. Wow. The giving didn't drop at all. Mm which said something. I had probably five or six of those times when I thought, this is it. But I also had people come alongside me and say, don't be premature. Wait wait a minute. I had some people that really walked me through some of the most difficult times of my life, and you better have some of those people on your team. You just have to be careful. You have to be very, very careful in not jumping the gun. I, okay, there, I understand there's something like 1,500 pastors a month that are leaving the ministry. Absolutely. I read that a while back. I was just with state convention leaders uh, all of, from all over the country, and one state reported up to 20% of their churches is right now in a search for a, for a new pastor. Wow. There's a massive shortage right now because a yeah. lot of people have quit. Right. So premature action is one. Let me give them the second one. So pitfall number two you said was rationalization. It says, we begin to say things like, with all that I do for God, if this is how I get treated, then I am out of here. 
This kind of attitude comes from sinful pride. If the apostles, not to mention our Lord himself, suffered so much in their ministries, why should we be different? Yeah. You can expect, if you're going to step into ministry, you better expect that there's going to be a different type of hardship than in the business world. Think about this. The business world has all kinds of things it has to deal with, forms for the government and you know, regulations for how your church operates, the church, the, 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 your business. The church has all of those plus doctrine, morals, ethics, and let's add this one, music. <laughs> you ever think of that? Nobody at IBM is wrestling with what's being played over the speakers. You know? Or how loud. Yeah, or how loud. Mm-hmm. But in, in church, music, every week there's a complaint. I didn't like that song. It was too loud. It wasn't loud enough. I didn't. There's, there's something about music, and we are paid to tell people how bad they are. Did you ever think of that? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. We're to reprove, rebuke, exhort. And so it's a strange job. I mean, it is an upside-down job. And, and, and in the business world, people can't just pack up and leave. They don't have a job. But in church, I'm going down, down the street. I, don't, I didn't like what you said this past Sunday. We're out of here. And uh, it's, a, it's a strange animal. It's we're also, really strange. I mean, you said that the way we're paid. We're also paid to have our families really examined and oh, watched. Yeah, scrutinized. Yeah. I, I want you to tell the story about Kelly uh, Lindley and I read this. I love of course, this part. those of you listening, Kelly Minter, one of our leading female women's authors, is uh, Mike's daughter, and she's a little feisty, like Lindley. Yeah, she's feisty. <laughs> <laughs> and one time, you hauled her into the Christian school and uh, talk about that. Well, she was at a at a Christian school, and she was doing something. I don't know what. I know Kelly's pretty honest. You know, she's she's straight laced in those areas. But a, but some teacher thought she was lying and said to her. You know, pastor's daughter shouldn't lie. And she thought to herself, is it okay for a plumber's daughter to lie? <laughs> why, why is it pastor's daughter? <laughs> and so she came home and told me that. And she said, Dad, I wasn't lying. So she was under the microscope. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I don't think through the years that my kids were that much. We did have a music guy years ago that didn't like one of my kids. And he wouldn't let her in any of the plays. He would find something wrong. And if I went to him... And tried to, he would say, oh, you're, you're protecting your daughter. It's just a oh. difficult. Yeah, that's mm. tough. But I didn't have too many of those. I have to admit, I think the people at our church treated, treated our kids pretty well overall. Yeah. Well, you said premature action and rationalization are two pitfalls. But then here's the real meat of the show today. You, you ask six questions that we ought to look at ourselves before we quit the ministry, right. before we hang it up. Here are six questions to ask before you quit. I'm going to ask the first two, and then I'll hand it over to Lindley. She'll ask the next two, okay. and we'll keep going. But man, these are great questions. When I read the book, I ran right to Lindley and said, this is like the most practical analysis I've ever seen put forth in a book about whether it's time to quit. So question number one, have you given your ministry enough time to develop? That's a good question. Talk about it. Yeah. You have to... if. It's almost like in, it's like putting a seed in the ground. Come on, come up, come up, come up. Uh, that's that doesn't work that way. I've I talked to this is interesting because I bumped into a pastor a number of years ago, and I I was at a meeting, and he told the story of wanting to quit twenty years ago, and he kept telling this story about wanting to quit. And he said, then I found a pastor in the local area that sat down with me and and talked me out of it. And he's just talking away, and he said it was Mike Minter, and I went, me? I don't even I don't even know you. He goes, oh yeah, you and I had lunch. 20 years ago, wow, and it all started coming back. He was going to hang it up. And I talked to him and asked him a lot of the questions here, and he stayed with it. 
now he has a mega church. Mm. It's a very influential church in, in Northern Virginia. Mm. Uh, and I, I thought that was God's blessing in my life to hear that. I mean, what, what did I do? I just gave him some tips. Well, uh, we had Paul Tripp on the show and he was talking about uh, some of the best advice he'd ever received. And he, he was a young pastor and he got upset and resigned the church and went back to his house. And uh, an older man came and stood on his doorstep and said, Paul, if the immature pastors always leave, how are we ever going to get a mature one? Yeah, right. And I, I thought that's such a great way to put it. It takes time to get mature in ministry. It takes time to work through the problems, to clean up the messes, and you can't do it overnight. And I would even say this. You did kindly invite me to your church to ask me to consider being the pastor, but the, the, the ministry of Lifeway had not developed right. enough yet it for had. me to even think about that. So right. there is seasons where you're like, I think I want to quit, or maybe I should leave, but it just isn't time. I think you actually were thinking about it a little bit, because it was hard. It was. I mean, honestly, we the were going timing through. of the Reston thing, Ben was still restless here and it was hard and i think it was kind of like the easiest thing to do would be to leave and go to something i know right right so uh i i i this idea of 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 growing you know here's a problem the internet i I think i'll listen to john MacArthur today i think i'll listen to alistair Begg, and then then you want to be them well these guys have been around for years and you're young pastors have a dream that they're going to be the next matt chandler they just have that, they think they've got that, and they don't. And they're expecting the crowds to come in, and the people are leaving, and they get discouraged. You've got to stay in your own seat, stop getting on the internet and listening to these incredible communicative gurus that are just so gifted. But we, I didn't have that. I didn't have any comparisons when I was coming up through the ranks, yeah. but now you can go on there. Well. It makes me think about the parable of the talents, where one yeah. person gets a single talent, somebody right. gets two talents, and somebody gets five talents. We are not to compare ourselves to a five-talent person. That's We're exactly supposed to right. do the best we can with two talents, if that's what we got. That's exactly right. Mike, here's the second question you think people should ask before they quit the ministry. Are numbers, such as attendance, conversions, or baptisms, or the lack thereof, the primary factor shaping your decision? That's a good question people have to ask. Yeah, I, I don't think they're necessarily the primary. You do have to ask... Uh, you know, if you're in sales and nobody's selling or nobody's buying anything, you know, your boss is going to call in and say, what did you do for me, you know, today, not yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I do think if people are staying away in droves, you know, and things just aren't going, you may want to reconsider. It's funny, I was just in the book of Acts today, and it was talking about how they, how they preached, uh, they, they, they were effective in their preaching. I thought, that's interesting. I, I circled the word effective. Does that mean there's a giftedness in how you preach? There's no doubt if you're boring, you're not going to have a lot of people come. But then again, you might be called to a church of 20 or 30 people. I met with, I don't know if it's in the book or not, but I met with J.I. Packer 45, 46 years ago, and I said, do you think there's a church somewhere on this planet that God looks down and says, that's a church? And he said, oh, absolutely. And I went, really? He said, yeah, it's probably meeting in a cave in Nepal, Hmm. meaning there, God's not interested in the size of your church. He's interested in the holiness of your church. Now, size may be there. That's fine. Uh, baptisms may be there. That's fine. But consider the demographics. If you're in a highly populated area, you should expect some growth. If you're in a place where there's, we're out in the farmland, there's only a certain number of people that can, that can even right. come to your church. So you've kind of got to wrestle with those things. That's um, good. I, I think those are, those are factors and play a role. Lindley, let's talk about our conversation with Jerry and Priscilla Shirer related to numbers. 
thought that was really interesting. Oh, yeah. So we, Ben and I were at dinner with him recently, and you just said something to, you know, Priscilla, I don't know if you know this, but your Elijah study is one of our best all-time selling studies. And she looked confused and said, I actually didn't know that because she and Jerry had made a kind of an agreement years ago after reading something in the Bible about senses. Oh, when David took a census and got himself into trouble for looking at the numbers. Right. Jerry said, he said, at that moment, we just said, we are not going to look at the numbers anymore. It's, we're not writing this for the numbers. We're right. writing it for God. Right. And that was a really convicting thing, because even with this podcast, we can look at the numbers sometimes and use that as the measurement of, is it growing? Is it successful? Versus just saying, are the people that are listening being changed or impacted? Encouraged. Yeah. Even consider John 6, where they turned and walked away. And he says, you want to leave too? I mean, he, he was, hey, listen, i got to keep the numbers up. Uh, that might be a little bit different context, but, but Peter says, no, you've got the words to eternal life. It's really we, good. Are, we are to preach a gospel that changes lives, and we can't worry about how that, how that actually works. God does that work, and all I need to do is get that gospel out there and see what God is going to do with that. Uh, and admittedly, I, I know I've had, I've talked to Pat, I had a young guy one time that was a local seminary and they said, could you let this guy, he's thinking of being a pastor, would you let him take an evening service? I said, sure. I gave it to him. And, and I called him into my office afterwards and I said, Hey, uh, you may want to consider doing something really different. I said, <laughs> I love you to death. Maybe administration's your thing. Upfront is not your thing. <laughs> he just, and I knew that no matter how much training he got, it wouldn't Change it. I could be trained forever in art. I have no visual skills, waste of time. And I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but I also didn't want him to get hurt by going into something that I just knew, he just what he couldn't preach effectively. Yeah, says that's this. really so, good. So okay. I, I think that's a place. So the first question you said was, have I allowed my ministry to develop? The second one is, am I, am I looking too much at the numbers as the primary indicator? Lindley, let's get to the third question. The third question was, do you perhaps just need a break and some time to get away and recharge? Right. There are ministries, and I've thought of starting one. I really actually thought, if I had a place, I think I would probably start a ministry for pastors that are burned out. And I know there's a lot of those. Kay and I even talked one time about having, we had a much bigger house in Northern Virginia. We thought of having people, pastors, maybe, maybe a couple of pastors and their wives come and stay with us for about three days. And she would spend time with the women, I'd spend, and then we'd spend time together just working through because I already know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have, there's nothing I haven't experienced. And so I, I know the bumps, I know the roadblocks, I know the pitfalls, and it's just because I've done it for a long time, not because I'm so bright or anything, just, I've just done it. And I think I could help, help with that. So if a pastor needs some time away, I don't think it ought to be just sitting in his bedroom reading books. He probably ought to go someplace mm-hmm. and walk through some things with guys that have been through that, have been through those war zones mm-hmm. and, have, and have been in those foxholes to, to help them out. This is interesting because we interviewed somebody about this, and he said, if you just go away for a week and don't re- change anything, you're going to come back and be just as tired as you were right. beforehand. I mean, you exactly. have to go change yeah. the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I've mm-hmm. taken time where I've just gone and just been away, read, but I've also spent time talking to people that I thought had something to say and give me some mm-hmm. counsel. That's really good. You know, I heard a pastor talk years ago about the difference be- between being tired and soul-weary. Hmm. Tired is you just need right. a week on the beach and naps. Right. Soul weary is that there's something deep inside of you that needs fixed. Amen. 
And I think if you're out there and you, you just know in your heart, your soul weary, weary, it's time to get some help. Right. Right. Whether that's a group of pastors who can help you or a counselor, but you're dying inside and yeah. something's got to be done. Right. Right. I, and I, I, I think that's valuable because it's hard to distinguish between the two of those. Yeah. Lord, you know, I believe help my unbelief type of thing. Which, what is it? What, yeah. What's causing this? And I, and this is where good counsel comes in. If you can have somebody that's really good at kind of picking away and saying, I think I found out what your problem really is. Yeah. I think I know what you're really struggling with. Could be your marriage. And you don't even realize that's draining you. Uh, or a child or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, just attacks from the congregation. But if you, can't, if you can't pinpoint that, then you might wind up chucking it when you shouldn't have. That's good. So, you know what's good. interesting about that? Well, I digress here for a second. Is that recently he and I were having a conversation and just trying to fight through something. And my, my parents were there. My mom was talking about how having four teenagers, even if they're not particularly misbehaved or challenging, is challenging. Oh, sure. And we just, when you're in it, you just don't realize it. But I mean, someone like you just said, like you've been through it. She's been through it. And um, I mean, it was just really. Um, helpful to hear that because they're just there's things that he and I the stress of the kids turns into a fight between he and I. Yeah. It's kinda of like a goldfish doesn't know the water they swim in. Right. And, and if I, your and home I, is a challenge. And I and I'll help you out. It doesn't change when they leave home. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. So number four, are you fighting a battle that you think you need to win because failure is not in your vocabulary? Ooh. There's the old Enneagram stuff. Are you a, are oh. you a three or a one? Whatever it is. I'm I'm an eight. Uh yeah. Oh dear. Uh so that pride can be in there. Okay, I don't want to be a failure, therefore I'm going to stick it out. You can do that in the business world and still produce. As a pastor, if the grace of God is not there, and if his enabling is not there, and if his joy is not there, it will be perceived by your people and your leadership like that. That's really good. They'll know it because the Spirit of God will let them know. It's like that saying, people are going to catch what you have. Right. So if you have negativity, if you have bitterness, if you have anger, and it's going to come out through the sermons, whether it's in the manuscript or not. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's right. It will come out. That's a good question. So say the question one more time. So the question was, are you fighting a battle that you think you need to win because failure is not in your vocabulary? Mm. And that's really, Mike, where you say, like, probably need some people around you who love you that can look and say, hey... You are going to kill yourself it, if you keep doing this. It also feeds into the next question, which says, are you staying in the fight out of personal pride or for the glory of God? Yeah. Many, many years ago, there was a guy I led to Christ, and he became competitive with me. I led him to Christ, and he was an ex-football player, big, tough guy, a get-it-done, run-over-you kind of guy. So he goes to seminary so that he can exceed me, and everything was competitive. And I'd let him have the pulpit from time to time. He wasn't that great in the pulpit, but he... <laughs> He, uh, but he was, he was, he just had to get everything done. So eventually, the pride was so great in him. I went before the elders and I said, "It's him or me." I and here I'd led the guy to the Lord, and I said, I, "But I, I can't stay here and him, him be an elder. It's just, it's just not going to work." And so he decided he wanted to start a church. I got up for the congregation and I said, "I said John wants to start a church." Anybody that wants to go with him, I give you my blessing. Sixty people went with him. I knew what was going to happen. The thing blew up in a few months. He started another church. It blew up again. 
never saw him for years, came back to me many, many years later and said, I want to ask your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I had no business being a pastor. I knew that from day one. I knew his personality, his care for people, his just way, it was all competitive. I've got to have a bigger church than Mike's got. Mm-hmm. And he was going to prove it. And I, I just knew the handwriting on the wall right off the bat. Uh, God wasn't going to exalt that at all or lift that up. So you, you, get, you see some things through the years, and ministry can be competitive. If you find out the church down the street is growing like crazy and yours isn't, what's wrong with me? Yep. What have I done wrong? Or that guy can say, look what I've done right. And it's, um, right. it's trouble. Mm-hmm. Pride, told, is, pride is the monster. I told him the, today, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is when Peter and Jesus go for a walk. And Jesus says, Peter, when you were younger, you got dressed how you wanted. But when you're older, they're going to take you to a place you want to go. They're going to stretch out your hands. Right. But the part that really gets me is he turns around and he sees John standing there. Oh, yeah. And he says, <laughs> what, what, what about I? him? What are you going to make him do? Uh, it was all about comparison for Peter. It, he wasn't concerned about suffering. He was concerned about not finishing first. That's exactly right. And that the reason I love that passage is that's who I am when I'm not walking in the Holy Spirit. Like right. I want to win. Yeah. And winning means, means I need to make you lose. Yeah. And pastors can develop that spirit. They really can. I One of the things that I wanted to leave a legacy in Northern Virginia was, can we do this together? All the churches, can we do this together? You're going to do things. Your, your music might be different. You might have a little doctrinal difference here there. But can we do this together? And when somebody leaves our church, I'll say, hey, let me tell you a church I think you would fit in well. Mm. And then I'll call the pastor and say, this guy's coming over there or whatever. Whatever. I, I learned a long time ago, get out of that competitive spirit. And if I could get the Northern Virginia pastors to get out of that, we could be a mighty force. Mm. We could yeah. be a mighty force. We still have one more question, right? Is there a competitive spirit that keeps you pressing on while your wife and children are unduly suffering? That is really a mm. good question. I'd forgotten I'd written it. Mike, way to go. <laughs> good Mike, job, what Mike. a great question. I am so brilliant. I am so great. Uh, you know, it's funny because sometimes a wife might be called to the mission field and the husband's not, or the husband's called... Those, I think you have to pretty much be on the same page. If your kids hate the ministry, they're going to grow up hating the ministry. And I think that's something that, I think you have to ask your children, what is it that you don't like? What, what's causing you to suffer? Well, they're making fun of me because I'm the pastor. We didn't have that. I, I can honestly say, I don't think my kids had that. Might have been a few people, but not very many. So I think you have to take a little inventory there because if your family is unduly suffering, that may be a, they may need to get some counseling and that might be a little warning signal because I think if you're really strong at home, and I think we, we, were, we were pretty strong in the house as far as the kids getting along and they had good friends at church. Uh, Kelly looks back with great memories of church. I think most of my kids do. Uh, so I think... I think developing an atmosphere for your children not to feel like they're being looked at or compared uh, has, a, has a huge role. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't had the bad side of that experience, so I'm not sure I can give great counsels to what to do. We recently asked our kids how much they miss dad being the pastor, and I was so disappointed. They really don't miss it, and here's why. It wasn't because they were in the public eye. It's because they don't like getting up early on Sunday. Oh. <laughs> Uh, for the kids, that was like, man, we're the first ones there, we're the last ones well, to leave. that was part of church planting. I yes, mean, that, yeah. that was different, too. Um, 
But to his point, our kids have never really complained about being singled out as pastor's kids. They've just complained about being at the church all the time, or they'd rather be on the ball field. You said something in your book about how your family did not make a regular habit of devotionals. You said actually you had like one. Yep, had one. So talk about that quickly for the the one family devotion in history. One family devotion, and it blew up, and I thought, they're going to hate the Bible. They're just going to hate it. (laughs) And I thought, I've got to slip the spinach into the ice cream somehow, you know, and... uh, so I went back to that passage in Deuteronomy 6. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, you're, that's the training time. In other words, all day long. It wasn't just a particular time of the day. It was all day. So I, I would, I'd be in the store, and I would, I, would, I would pick up a Cheerios or something like that, and I would shake it. And I would say to Kelly or whatever, I'd say, squeeze the top. Where does it actually start with the Cheerios? Oh, they start about halfway down. I said, that's called a false weight. Proverbs says it's an abomination. And I, I would walk around, I would show advertising <laughs> things that were false. Or I'd go look at a tree with a spider on and say, do you really think that just happened? Look at this thing. And so it was sort of throughout the day, I was more the teacher in that area, and Kay was the prayer warrior. Kay prayed those kids, I mean, just prayed all the way. They still remember her praying on the way to school with them and prayers being answered, and it really stuck with them. Mm. Mike, so, I want you to talk, I want you to talk about that. You you confided to me once that, and I I agree with you. My personality, like you said, you're just not good at prayer. It's yeah. always been a struggle. Oh, I'm the same way. Like if I can walk and pray, but man, you bring me into a prayer meeting and I just go to sleep. Oh yeah, I I uh, it's hard, and it's interesting. I do think when we talk about people being prayer warriors, I now maybe meditation is a type of prayer. I don't. I can meditate for hours. <laughs> I can walk and think about a text. But as soon as I start praying, you know, Father, I just, that guy I met today, I was thinking of talking to him, and he had that ice cream cone. I wonder what kind of ice cream that was. Was that (laughs) that a sugar cone? And I'm gone. I'm gone within (laughs) 10 seconds. And I try so hard. So a friend of mine said, why don't you pray out loud? Find a room upstairs and pray out loud. You won't drift as much. I've I've done that. But it's just always been a struggle. Me too. For the same reason, and I think I'm a better speaker than I am a, a prayer. Right. And uh, but I'm always feeling ashamed of that because I yeah. want to be, you know, that yeah, right. prayer warrior, yeah, the guy that's on his knees for three hours in the morning. And, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it just hasn't been true. Now, there is one other thing I wanted to ask you about before we have to wrap up. I thought one of the best parts of the book was when you talk about swim lanes. This is like a wheelhouse for you. Talk about swim lanes and how dangerous they are and how what a blessing they are. Yeah. Uh, I define swim lanes as the theological lane that you wound up in after you were converted. Uh, Somebody either discipled you in a particular swim lane, or you went to a church that had a particular theological swim lane, or you read a book or a pot or something, but something got you into that swim lane. So if you end up sitting in a particular church and you're under a particular teacher, you're going to pick up, he could be Arminian, a Calvinist, a Pentecostal, you're going to pick that up. You're going to read those books and listen to those podcasts and so on. The problem with the swim lane is you're told that your swim lane has the purest water. And the <laughs> swim lane next to you, they're going to get to the other side, barely, but it's a little polluted. Rather than realizing that swim lane has an answer to theological questions that your swim lane doesn't have an answer to. Mm. So why not go under the swim lane and find out? And maybe you can bring something to them and go, or, either to, or take down the ropes. If you really believe that that church down the street does teach the gospel, though their music's different or they have a different view on dispensationalism or something, if you really believe, then there is no reason 
why you shouldn't spend some time with that other pastor and learn a few things right. <clears throat> so that I, the, the battles between Calvinism and Arminianism and all the, whether the sign gifts are here today, you know, you've got to really clear the air on some of those things because I have found great godly people in all those swim lanes. So if they can all be godly, then it means that swim lane couldn't be a whole lot more effective than another yeah. swim lane. I love what you say because as, as Baptists, and I'm on a Baptist swim lane, uh, we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Yeah, right. And we don't tend to emphasize the Holy Spirit. But right. when I spend time with pastors who come out of a stream where the Holy Spirit has been emphasized, like I am challenged oh, absolutely. by their belief in the miraculous, yep. by their belief in the answers to prayer. Uh, it's good for a Baptist to read a good charismatic theologian. Absolutely. And just be challenged in some yeah. ways. I've, I, I love that about you, that you've tried to foster that. I've tried to, I try to read widely. Uh, I'll read things like from Michael Brown. You know who he is? He's a sort of a charismatic, but he's a scholar. And I'll read, I read all kinds of people. I read just different types of people to get the wide perspective. There is no one person or one pastor or one theologian that could possibly have all the answers. Not even possibly, because what we don't know about God is infinitely more than what we do know about mm. God. That's true of the Bible. So, you know, break down the barriers and, 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 and learn a little bit. I'm I'm reminded when I think about some of those. I'm reminded when I'm thinking about the challenges of ministry. The uh, the mother that comes down knocks on her son's door one morning and says, "Time for church." And out from under the covers comes this muffled voice saying, "I'm not going to church." Oh yes, you are going to church. No, I'm not, and I've got two very good reasons. She goes, "Oh yes, you are going to church." He goes, "No, I'm not." Reason number one: I don't like those people down there. Number two: They don't like me. She goes, oh, yes, you are going to church. Now, I've got two very good reasons. Number one, you're 45 years old. Number two, you're the pastor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so that's how you feel sometimes in, in, in some of these swim lanes or that's even in, 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 in life and ministry. <laughs> uh, ministry is complicated, but it's a lot of fun, too. Okay, well, we got to wrap up because we have more content than we can put on a podcast right now. Mike, you've done an awesome job. Thank we you. have two questions we ask every guest uh, to kind of wrap it up. Uh, number one... I'll ask this one that Lindley can ask the next one. Number one is, what is, in your mind, one of the hardest things about being a pastor living in the glass house? What was always a challenge for you? I think uh, probably living a life knowing that I'm going to come upon my community in the grocery store, wherever I am. I remember one time I was coming out of a grocery store up in Northern Virginia and I was in a line of about three or four cars, and somebody wasn't paying up attention up front. I just drove around. I got, <laughs> and the the wife in the, in the in the car that I swung around said, "What a jerk!" And the husband said, "That's our pastor." <laughs> and they told me the story later. Yeah. You know? So, I you you feel like wherever you're around, are are you tr like I've many times uh, the waitress comes over later and goes, "By the way." Just wanted to see how you were acting. I go to Reston Bible Church. And of course, mm -hmm. we're a big church. This, this woman was driving 30 minutes away to come to church. And I said, did I behave myself? There was a tip good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So you sort of feel like, you know, you feel like you're being watched, certainly to yeah. some degree. You are. And, uh, and you are. You know what's um, wild about that? One time, Lindley and I were at a beach in Mexico. And we are walking down the beach. And in front of us <laughs> is a pastor and his wife. He doesn't know we're behind them. He's not seen us. And she is using, I'm talking, every cuss word in the book as they're discussing this, as they're talking. And he goes, do you know who that is? <laughs> and I, I didn't believe her. 
I didn't know. And um, I, I, was, I didn't know who she was. I just said her language is a lot. And she's not quiet about it. And, um, and, then, and then, yes. Well, maybe they took a trip to see if they're going to stay in the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me get the next question. All right. So there's the hard side. What's the best side about living in the glass house? We really enjoyed having people in our home to see mm. how we lived. Mm. We didn't have to put on any airs. My kids weren't put under any constraints. I think sometimes they might have felt a little bit like it, I, you know, I'd, whatever. But I think uh, having people over and letting them see we are normal people. Don't expect more from us just because I'm a pastor. Uh, we're real people. Uh, I just happen to have a position that... Um, that teaches the scriptures. Something else I think is important for pastors. Up front, you need to, from time to time, tell people where you're failing. Mm -hmm. I've told our people many times, I'm going to speak on prayer today, not my strength, but it doesn't change the fact that this is still the truth. This is still truth, and I I need to learn from it, so I'm studying it and so on. Or one time I lied to the congregation. I knew I had lied, and I didn't retrieve it quick enough, and I let it go, and I... Man, I could feel the Spirit of God on me, and I had to come back a week later and say, last week, I got to clear the air, I lied, and here's what I said. And I knew it at the time, but I didn't, I didn't change it. And I want to ask your forgiveness. Every once in a while, you have got to let people know a problem going on in your home. Kay and I had a, well, we had a knockdown drag out last night, you know, or not that we had those very often, but yeah. people going, really? You know, if they put you on a pedestal, man, that's going to come down. You have to let them know you are just another person. Yes, you may know more about the Bible and so on, but you're not holier than any. I know people that know more about the Bible than I do in our congregation and live a far better life than I do, far more mature. But just because you're up front, people have a perspective that they shouldn't have, and you have to make sure they don't have that perspective. The Glass House is a production of Lifeway. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Sound engineering by Dale Sandberg. Original music by Robert Elkins. Photography by Rebecca McVeigh. And artwork by Heather Bersensky. We are your hosts, Ben and Lindley Mandrell. Thanks for listening.